world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by Abby. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures as first-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Get the popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Hogue. The Bears angst in general. Everybody's like angry about it, I feel like. Just relax. From The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. This is just how it is. It's a range of emotions. It's a range of feelings and hot takes. Here they are. Fiery, feisty, and frequently ill. The Adams, Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns with you here as we have a very special episode of the podcast today. One I've been really looking forward to doing as Olin Krutz is on with us to talk about offensive line play. Uh, what I think is a very important topic. We're getting into some bear stuff too, but we're this is going to be kind of an X's and O's-y type podcast today. Uh, and uh, we're really excited to do this. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. Olin is on Twitter. He's become a king on Twitter. His his uh, analysis, uh, picking all that up during, before, after, during Bears games, he's become a fun follow on Twitter, and he joins us now. What's up, Olin? Nothing new, guys, man. What's up? Just looking forward to talking a little bit, a little bit out the offensive line, yeah. Well, uh, here's where I want to start, Olin, with you. You're obviously coming from this from a much uh, better perspective than any any type of outsider, not only having played at such a high level as you did at the NFL level, but um, you, you played the center position too. So I feel like you especially have an understanding of it. When you're watching games on Sundays now that your playing career is over, you're looking at things much more differently than we ever possibly could. So I wanted to ask you, start with this question. What is the biggest thing that the average football viewer or fan misses when it comes to offensive line play when they're watching games? Just understanding how much scheme goes into you executing your block and how much the guy next to you can affect you. And by that, I mean, when you watch the Bears offense, you'll see a lot. Yeah, they'll run a simple inside zone, but then they'll also run a fake jet sweep off of that with the tight end running backside to block the defensive end. And what that does with all that motion is you can make a point which puts all the old linemen on one on their linebackers and your double teams in, in one direction. Now, when that motion comes, 
the point can change in a hurry if they bump their linebackers over, and now you're pretty much going to a spot. And if the guy next to you doesn't recognize that, and you step inside to go to another linebacker, and he's staying strong on the linebacker that was first pointed, well, now somebody comes free and there's a three-yard loss. So there's so much that goes into one play as an offensive lineman, as a unit uh, working together. And some of that, a lot of that is what the Bears offensive line struggled with last year and probably why you saw the switch between James Daniels and Cody Whitehair. So I'm curious then, then Owen, I've always wanted to ask the really you this. Like, How do you feel about the coverage of linemen, whether it's during the broadcast, you know, the instant analysis you get from the guys in the booth, or later in the media when we're asking you questions in the locker room, or even now like on Twitter where you get everybody looking at film, but maybe they don't even know what they're looking at. Like they're trying to break down plays, but they don't know everybody's assignments. Like how do you feel about the coverage of offensive linemen in today's NFL? You know, they're getting a lot more coverage, honestly, than they've ever gotten. And, and the coverage is actually way more fair than it's ever been just because there are guys on Twitter who kind of understand, to be honest with you guys, even from my perspective, uh, I'm guessing a lot of times at what is actually going on between calls and, and what the scheme is. And you really don't know unless you're in the room why the guy set like that, where his help was supposed to come from. Sometimes you can tell if a guy's one-on-one and he's just getting trashed. And, and that's obvious to tell when a guy's not uh, – he's not playing really well. But sometimes the, the little fine details uh, that are out there, uh, it's hard to pick up on. So it can be frustrating. But as an offensive lineman, you know that. You, you know you're, you're one of five. And, and you know really if one guy has a really bad game, it affects the whole group. The whole group's going to play bad. It's really hard for an offensive lineman to say, I played good, but he played bad. So what is the easiest way, because I'm sure we could probably do a whole podcast just on this, but what is the easiest way to explain the difference between a man blocking scheme, inside zone, outside zone, and gap schemes? Because I think fans hear those terms a lot, but they might not necessarily understand what they mean. Yeah, gap schemes now is the old down. Everybody's blocking one gap down and one guy's pulling to kick somebody out or turn up for the linebacker. So a gap is you're in charge for the gap away inside of your – to your inside shoulder. And it's really hard to explain unless you have a board in front of you to put on there. And a zone scheme is just – let's say we're running to our right. Uh, you're going to put your helmet on the arm – on the side on – the, on the left armpit of the defensive tackle, which would be your right shoulder. You're going to put your helmet on that armpit, and you're just going to keep running in that direction. And the most important thing – about that scheme is for the lineman's shoulders to match the shoulders of the running back. So when you watch uh, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tennessee Titans, all of them learned under Shanahan, right? Keith Carter was uh, LaFleur's coach, uh, O-line coach. When LaFleur went to Green Bay, he didn't go with him. He stayed with Tennessee. They all were learning under Shanahan, the zone system, and they're totally committed to this zone system. And gap is just a gap and pool where one lineman is blocking down, to a gap and somebody's pulling a kick out. And and how about the difference between inside zone and outside zone? And then a follow-up is is how do certain players fit these schemes differently than others? Inside zone is, let's say, the way the, the, way the Bears run it, since that's most of your guys' podcasts, uh, yep. they have, they're out of shotgun. The running back is usually, usually backside of what they would call inside zone. So if the running back's on the left of the quarterback – they're running to the right inside zone. I'm sure their aiming point, most people in the NFL, 
Uriah shotgun is the backside leg of the center. So they're running inside zone. As, as I just explained, the O-linemen have to keep their shoulders the same as the running back. So the running back comes downhill and he's square to the line of scrimmage. The O-lineman's shoulders better be square. Now, if they run outside zone, the running back's aiming point is usually outside of a – if there's no tight end, which is usual for the Bears, or if there is one, outside leg of the tight end, and everybody's just turning and running and, and trying to get their head outside and the outside shoulder of the defense alignment. Good luck with so, all of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> in your opinion, then, Owen, like – the, the entire Bears offensive line, but but one starter from last year is coming back. The, the notable change is is Harry Heastan is out, Juan Castillo is in. So when you hear Matt Nagy use the word scheme, like what are we exactly like? What can you expect? You know, when the personnel is the same, but the coach is different. Like what are you looking for? Like what do you think can actually be be changed? Take us through this. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, right? Because I always, I always have to start with this. Uh, Harry, Harry Heastan is a really good friend of mine, um, so that obviously bothered me when he got fired. But other than that, the Bears' offensive line last year, if you really look at it, Kyle Long goes down after four games. So now Ted Larson comes in. Ted Larson gets hurt against Minnesota. Rashad Coward comes in. Uh, Bobby Massey misses a, a, a. I think he missed six games last year. So Cornelius Lucas played a lot. Both their tight ends only played eight games. I mean, Adam Shaheen and Trey Burton. So that's a big part of your running game, right? So uh, obviously, all of a sudden, you got J.P. Holtz, uh, Ben Broadnecker running shovel passes, uh, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. Juan Castillo has coached in the NFL for a long time. Uh, when I looked at his film from the Buffalo Bills when he was coaching with the ball, uh, Brian DeBall there, who runs kind of a similar offense to Coach Nagy. Not not exactly, but uh, he ran inside zone and gap schemes in the same way, but but maybe they just communicate better, uh, uh, him and Coach Nagy. Uh, maybe they understand what they want. Uh, part of me wonders if Coach Nagy knows what his run, what his scheme, the, the run scheme in his offense really is. Uh, or does he always have to count on somebody else to put a run scheme in his offense? You know what I'm saying? So, then what are you totally committed to? The really good teams that run the ball, they commit to something early in offseason, which there's another problem this year. There is not an offseason. So these young guys are going to have a problem. What are they committed to this year? I don't know. Last year they seemed best at running under center, which I kind of laugh when I rewatch the games. I don't know about you guys, but you watch like from the Chargers game when they line up in high formation, and it seems to just keep working for them, right? Every time they run the high formation, and it seems to me Coach Nagy might be on the sideline cheering against it. But the gods of football in Chicago, <laughs> it just continues to work. And that's really what they were good at. They were good at running the ball and play action when Mr. Trubisky was on the field. If you go back to last year, guys, and I'll try to slow down here. I get excited when we talk about the running game. Their first touchdown was against Denver, right? You remember that in the third quarter. I think it was the second drive of the third quarter. It was nine straight runs. Yep. They found their identity. There was their identity. And then they played the Chargers, and I can't remember exactly who after. I know the Eagles was in that, in that mix and the Lions, right? And they always, all three games, they wait to their third quarter to run high formation, run the ball straight down the field and score, and Mr. Trubisky boot out of the pocket and hit a guy deep. I think some of what happened last year and some of what's happening with this offense is someone should ask Coach Nagy what is – what, not, not, not what is the offensive lineman br- a coach bringing to your scheme? The question for you, coach, is 
what is the run scheme in your offense? Because he should know that answer. So, Olin, you're preaching to the choir right now because, I mean, I remember break, we broke this all down during the season. I remember specifically after that Chargers game, right? you know, breaking down the success they had within the running game when they went with all that power and why they should stick with that. So do you think it's just a – is that a personnel thing that just the players that are on the team are just better fitted or – more comfortable doing something that might not actually be what Matt Nagy wants to do in his scheme? Well said, you know, it's a good question. And and I always tell people, I don't care whether you're running the ball or passing the ball. I'm just watching when you're scoring points. And I think you should do that. They, they need to put the ball in the end zone. The problem with the offense is they couldn't score. Right. So one thing you always have to say, and, and personnel is a good point and it depends on who you're playing. I think when they were playing the Chargers, I'd have to go back and look. But I think the Chargers were down to like their fourth D tackle, had to bring a guy in off the street. I think Tillery from Notre Dame was playing that game inside, and the Bears are just rolling them out, right? So, yes, I think I don't know. I don't know about the whole offense, Adam. I can't answer for the whole offense for that. I think some of those guys, like Anthony Miller, Tariq Cohen, although where is Tariq going? I don't know. Um, but I know I do know this. Mitch Trubisky looks like he struggles processing information in the pocket sometimes. Um, that's, not, that, that's not a career ender. It's only a career ender if your, your coach insists on making you process information on every play. And by that, I mean in the Bears' offense, it's a zone read, which he has to read the DN or the linebacker. He doesn't just hand the ball. They have a few, but they run it very few times. Or it's an RPO, Right where it's a run-pass option. He has to read the defense and get the ball out or hand it off. And then or either that or he sits in the pocket and he tries to pick them apart by going through his progressions. For a guy who struggles with processing information, guys, that's a lot to ask from him. So what's your reasonable expectation, I guess, for, for the offense or, or the offensive line? You know, we got the – the quarterback competition go, going on back there, but like in terms of like the, the the offensive line, like define your your level of expectation, like 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 for these guys with, with Juan Castillo, like what would you tell fans is like the best case scenario for the Bears' offense, starting with the offensive line? Well, I will say this: Juan Castillo Castillo has coached a lot of football in NFL, and damn well knows what he's doing. Um, the Bears' offensive line. I tweeted something out about how much money they've spent on a defensive line and how much money they've spent on the offensive line. So um, they're, they're not a, they weren't a huge priority on Ryan Pace and Coach Nagy's list. And so if they play to their absolute best, they'll be average. There's only one caveat to that. If James Daniels or Cody Whitehair takes a step, somebody has to develop, guys. Somebody that they drafted. Imagine if Kevin White had developed. And I look, I know I'm not beating a day. Who cares? He didn't, but I'm saying if he did, he'd be in his sixth year, he'd be a Pro Bowl wide receiver. He'd be hard to handle outside with Allen Robinson next to him. If James Daniels can develop into a Pro Bowl guard or center, if Cody Whitehair can develop into a Pro Bowl guard or center, and I'm not talking, um, uh, what do they call it? I'm not talking when they replace guys. I'm not talking about alternates. I'm, ta- I'm talking about making the Pro Bowl where you're dominant. Cody Whitehair has been a good football player. They don't have a dominant offensive lineman on their offensive line. They don't have a guy who goes out there and dominates, and that was the hope for Kyle Long. Now, as far as them signing Jermaine Fetty, 
Uh, he is an immediate improvement over Rashad Coward. Immediate. And uh, he, he improved a lot under Mike Solari, who the Seahawks hired his offensive line coach. His technique changed. He's heavy-footed. Uh, he struggles with speed, guys, sometimes. He struggles moving his feet. But he's an improvement over what they had there at right guard, um, almost like a Brian Witzman, which they had replaced Kyle Long two years ago in 2018. So I think that's an improvement. Hopefully Massey can stay healthy this year. So a lot of people don't talk about last year, guys. When you turn the film on, uh, you got uh, you got in, in late in the year, you got Cornelius Lucas, Rashad Coward, and Horstead trying to block guys. And everybody's asking me why the offense doesn't work. And I say, I got a few guesses. Personnel. Uh, to, to go off that, Owen, like we always talk about the the – the quarterback transition, like the the path, the development they have to take. Going off what you said about maybe Jermaine Afadi or, or even James Daniels, these guys have a lot of starts under the, under the belt, especially Afadi. Like, the, have you seen examples? Have you played with examples with guys where it just takes maybe the right coach or the right amount of experience for things to click or, or the right button to be pushed by 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 a teammate? Like, can you see? giant steps taken you know later in your careers like how, how would you ca- like you know encapsulate what that could be for you know young offensive linemen like these guys there are guys who, who get into schemes or get next to a guard or tackle who they really fit well with and they take big jumps a coach who really understands their game and because coaching guys when you're coaching offensive line or, or, or any sport you guys are probably coached kids sports uh, you're always looking for words that they hang on to that actually give them the clear picture in their head that they can execute what you're asking them to do. And some coaches just relate to you better than others. Now, as far as Jermaine, I hope I don't butcher his name again, if it um, goes, I don't see him taking that big step to where he's a great football player. I see him being uh, a guy you can win with at right guard. Uh, I'm on record saying that uh, Daniels, I think he could be a pro bowl player. Now, uh, the thing he has to show us, and he's very young, right? I think James is only 22 years old, maybe. Um, the thing he has to show us is the same thing that we're talking about with Mitch. James has incredible, like, I talk to guys around the league, guys, who, who watch just blocking. And, and the one-on-one blocks he made at center, there's maybe two or three guys who could do that in the whole NFL. Just take on guys. Like, you go back to the first game, if you guys want to turn the film on. Go back to the first drive of the Green Bay game and watch him block Kenny Clark one-on-one. Not a lot of guys can do that. So when, what, what is he missing? Well, same thing we talk about Mitch Trubisky. Can he process information? Can he, can he notice blitzes? Can he, like I talked about, when someone motions, motions and your assignment changes in that 10-second window, can you execute your block, change everything you were going to do, change your angle, change your footwork, get up to the linebacker you're supposed to be on? I think some of that uh, is why he went to left guard and Cody went to center is because you can't have two guys at center and guard who both struggle processing information. Uh, then your offense is really in trouble. All right, Olin, I want to shift just a little bit here off the current. Well, some of this has to do with the current team, but I want to draw on your experience playing a little bit. So I, I'm curious what the relationship can be like between offensive linemen and their quarterback. Uh, because there's such an important trust level there, and you hear the stories about quarterbacks taking care of their old linemen, going out to dinner, all this stuff, buying dinner, buying gifts when things are going well. But what happens when a quarterback like Trubisky last year just isn't playing well, isn't playing consistently enough? 
what is that relationship like? Does it get strained at a certain point? It, it does get strained only because uh, it's making you look bad at your job. So if you can imagine anybody listening to this podcast, if there's a guy at your work who he's a good guy, I mean, you don't mind him, you don't mind him at lunch and whatever, but whatever he does during business hours makes you look bad. Well, you're going to end up not liking that guy because uh, we're all trying to keep our job here and play well. And in the NFL, you're under a lot of pressure to play well. You're always about to be replaced. Uh, so it's just like, you know, if we go back to last year, and, and I had a problem with this. And, and from what I hear about Mitch, he's a great guy and he's a great teammate. I hear that from a lot of his teammates who I talk to. So this is nothing to do with him. We all make mistakes in our career. But James Daniels gets gets moved to to left guard pretty much means you're not doing your job. right? If they move you, you're not doing well at your job, no matter what the coach says. You're not doing well. Well, um, that's mostly because Mitch was struggling with protection schemes and picking things up. Okay, now Mitch goes on stage and says, well – uh, Cody is great at this, which basically means James is bad at that. That can strain a relationship. I don't know if it did. I don't know if it didn't. Uh, I'm just saying um, in the NFL, you don't really care what kind of guy the guy is. If he's doing his job and playing well, you're fine with hanging out with him. So what's it like to be well, an offensive lineman or specifically a center when, when you have a full-out quarterback competition? You've played with a lot of quarterbacks, Owen, so like I – and I'm sure you have your favorites. I'm sure you have your, your your least favorites. But like to, like you're literally caught in the middle of all this. Just just take us through it. Yeah, you just do your job. You just do your job, and you you try to you try to learn what both what what makes both quarterbacks tick. And what I used to do uh, was I would go to quarterback meetings and just listen to the guys talk, uh, listen to them go through their progression, and just try to feel like how they think. You have to learn uh, their different snap counts uh, when they want the ball. And, and a lot of that, sometimes you'll see guys that when, when quarterbacks change, people are screaming, and you'll see guys constantly changing in and out of practice. Uh, you see a lot of offsides. Uh, guys are just not used to the snap count. It takes a long time to get used to that. So uh, you can only control what you can control when you're playing center, and there's a quarterback competition like there seems to be going on uh, between Foles and Mitch Trubisky. Um, I'm sure the guys just – they just want the guy – who helps them put the ball in the end zone. They, they don't really care about anything else. Who's going to help us play our best on offense? Who's going to execute what we need? Did you, you, I mean, you were part of quarterback competitions. You, you saw that, and I, you know, we can go down the uh, Grossman or Orton right now thing, but um, I guess how do you, well, let's get your take on the quarterback situation. Where, where, how do you see this playing out right now with what you know about the, with what you know about um, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles right now? I think Foles will be the starter. I, I think most guys think that um, if I just go back to last year and we just go back to what we were talking about earlier, it goes back to what kind of offense Coach Nagy wants to run. Right. And if you go back to the Chargers game, like we, me and you were talking about earlier, and they're running the ball, running the ball. And I think they're up six. And I can't remember how much time is left, but Taylor Gabriel streaks down the middle of the field and Mr. Trubisky misses him. Right. Overthrows him, which happened a couple of times that a couple of times that year. At that moment, what would really play to Mr. Trubisky's strengths is to run the ball and boot out of eye formation. And Coach Nagy told us last year, like, look, I wasn't brought here to run the I formation, which I think he was joking when he said, I'm sure he was. 
But there's some truth to that because if you just turn the film on, he goes away from it, right? So what, all I'm saying is if Mr. Trubisky is in a Tennessee Titans offense and Nick Foles shows up, Mr. Trubisky will be the starter. In this offense, in the offense that Coach Nagy wants to run, that's why he brought in Lazar. That's why he brought in DiFilippo. That's why he brought in Juan Castile. What he's telling you is the scheme didn't work. The guys who were coaching it didn't know how to coach it. So I'm going to stick to my scheme here. And the guy who runs this scheme the best is Nick Foles. Owen, when we look at the Bears' defense, let's make this a two-part question. What do you think it's like? Like, who's the hardest block for you? Is it Eddie Eddie Goldman, the, the big nose guard? Is it Akeem Hicks and just everything he adds? Or is it, you know, when uh, Cleo Mack will loop around? And who is your least favorite teammate to block, you know, throughout all those practices that you had against Lovey Smith's units? Well, against, against Lovey Smith's units, uh, I didn't have to go against Tommy Harris a lot when he, when he was really playing well. But when I had to block, uh, back block on him, uh, he was so fast and strong that, that he was tough to block. So, so uh, he was really hard to get. But the least favorite guy I had to block in practice was Ted Washington uh, in 2001. And that guy, I think Ted, uh, they listed him at 380, but that was being nice. So uh, <laughs> Ted, Ted, you know, Ted, Ted was a big man. He played 18 years at nose guard. Uh, he just was really tough. That him and Keith Trailer in there, you know, Lovey's system, which was funny for me, was it was smaller, quicker defense alignment, and that kind of matched up well with what I like to do. Now, once you made your way up to the second level where Brian Erlacher and Lance Briggs reside, uh, then you were in then you were in trouble with that group. But um, Akeem Hicks, for me on the inside, uh, would have been a problem. You know, he's just a big guy who can move. Uh, likes to play football, likes to jump around. He's a little unorthodox. Uh, he guesses sometimes. But the guys who are really dangerous are the guys who can guess and still make the play. There are guys out there who guess and are not athletic enough to get back to where they need to be to make the play. Akeem Hicks does that. Um, that unit, those, those, that, that front unit, Bilal Nichols, Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks, Mack, and Quinn now, gosh, they are going to be hard to deal with, guys. So, quick follow up there. What what's it like to get to the second level? And I got to ask you this: like, what's it like to get to the second level of practice and lay it on a, a Brian Urlacher? Like, how, how much trash is talked? Because I know there's a lot of back and forth between those that offense and defense in those lovely days. So, like, especially if you say you got to Lance, like, what was that like? Take us back to those memories. Well, first of all. If there was back and forth, we were just talking because they were kicking our ass usually. So I was just trying to talk <laughs> trash to, to Lance and Erlacher because their defense was head and shoulders above our offense. And, and if you go back again, like we talk about this team, if you go back to the salary cap, you'll see why. But it, it, you know, Erlacher, the amazing thing about Erlacher was just how fast he was for how big he was. And he was really smart. But Lack, you know, when he stood in the huddle uh, before Julius Peppers got here, he was probably the biggest guy in the huddle. And then he was the fastest guy in the huddle. So uh, we used to say before every nine on seven or every practice, I would, you know, look over or Lack would look at me and we'd tell each other, you know, you better buckle your chin strap because we're going to go. I'm coming after you here. But to be, to be honest, they usually beat the hell out of our offense. So <laughs> it wasn't much to talk about on our side. Last thing we have for you, Olin, 
we, we mentioned all the quarterbacks you played for. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but but who was your favorite quarterback to play for? And I want to make sure I say in Chicago because um, you did play with Drew Brees. But then when you got to New Orleans, what did you what what struck you the most about being with a quarterback like Drew Brees compared to you know the guy, the endless amount of guys you went through before that? Right. Endless is the word, right? I mean, <laughs> man, it is so – I think my first, I don't know, man, six, seven years, I snapped to three or four different quarterbacks every year. Uh, guys were getting hurt. A, a guy I enjoyed playing with early in my career, uh, Jim Miller. Uh, he was a guy who loved the details of the game. Uh, he loved trying to outsmart the defense, understood what was going on around him. And, and like we talked about earlier, a quarterback like that, can make your life a lot easier if he knows where the blitz is coming from and he knows exactly who's assigned to who. Like, guys, if if I saw a game where, uh, like, if, if a lineman is matched up one-on-one with Khalil Mack, the quarterback has to know that. You only have two seconds. The ball's got to be out. Or honestly, it's your fault. The guy is making a hundred, he's had a $140 million contract. There's a reason for that. Um, on that, you know, Grossman had a great year in 2006. Kyle Orton uh, uh, studied a game. He was a young quarterback while he was here before we traded him for Jay Cutler. I, I enjoyed playing for him. I didn't really have a favorite. Um, you know, 2005 and 2006 with Kyle and Rex were fun years. Uh, 2010, you know, we battled through a lot as an offense. If you take a look at our personnel or our roster that year, how our, that offense made to an NFC Championship game is an absolute – uh, miracle. That's a miracle that they made there. So credit goes to Jay Cutler there, and he fought that whole year, and he fought with us, and we just continue getting better with Mike Martz and Mike Tice. So um, there's my safe, politically politically correct answer for you guys, and I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> oh, and quickly, I'm, I'm glad Adam brought up New Orleans uh, re- real quick. I, I always love a good Olin Cruz story. Yeah. Um, you want to say something about Breeze real quick? Yeah, no, Drew, well, well and, and I think that people – now, Drew is just – when we talk about processing information, he was born with that. Uh, he could see things you – know, you know, he lives in a matrix. Like, he could see things that you, you can't believe he can see out there. Uh, he's, he's directing the whole offense. I remember they, they installed two-minute offense. Two-minute offense is like at the end of the half, you have two minutes to score. It's a no-huddle offense. Drew Brees installed the offense. All the coaches left the room. So that's how much he's in charge of that offense. But uh, – I'm going to tell you guys right now, now Peyton down there, that guy is an exceptional coach. Uh, the way they pay attention to the smallest details, the way they walk through everything, and it demand perfection out of their offense. I, I, I couldn't believe we opened in Green Bay that year, and I had never been a part of all of a sudden we couldn't score. Aaron Rodgers is scoring, and we went no huddle, and all of a sudden there's 40 points on the board. And I remember getting on the bus and just thinking to myself, in my 14th year, I've never been a part of something like that where we just scored at will. And it seemed like with the, in New Orleans offense, in every game I played, we played the Bears. I got hurt in the Houston game. And I think I came back in Tampa was my last game. I mean, every game we scored more than 30 points. And it, it, it felt like really as an offense alignment, it felt like you weren't really doing much because Drew gets the ball out so fast. He makes all the calls. And all the guys around you just make plays. And the D-linemen don't even really rush because Drew's getting the ball out so fast, and he recognizes every blitz. So it just pretty much takes away from what the defensive coordinator wants to do to him. And as an offensive lineman, when I was playing for the Bears, 
I mean, every time you looked up, you thought it was goal line because every safety was in the box. Every linebacker, everybody was playing run when I played. When I looked up uh, the first time I played with Drew Brees, I, I said to myself, where the hell is everybody? Because they're all playing pass. And all of a sudden, running the ball is so damn easy. But, uh, you know, Drew, as you guys know, there's three or four of these guys who are alive right now and in the NFL. So uh, he's a rare one. Real quick about uh, a story I heard about. You, know, when, you played the Bears once when you were in New Orleans, right? Yes. Pre- preseason game. So I heard I always enjoy. No, we played regular season. We played regular, regular season, season against the Bears. It was, um, was it week two? Week two? Yeah, it was week two, I think. So I enjoy a good Owen Crude story. And I, and I heard when you guys were, were introduced, you come running out and there's Robbie Gold warming up on the other side of the field. You know, he's got his little tee out there. <laughs> he's kicking the ball and stuff. And you sprint all the way down the field. And before he can take his two steps to kick it, you kick the ball away from him. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But you know, letting, people got to understand that me and Robbie are good friends. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I, I love those guys on that team, you know? I love those guys on that team. Uh, that was a hard game to play in, man. It, it, it was surreal to be – on the field and have the bears on the other side. I mean, obviously once we snapped the ball and started hitting each other, it was all fine. But um, you know, those guys, uh, I played with Robbie for a while at that time. I knew he would take it as a joke. Uh, And he did. He laughed and even loved. He just shook his head at me, but um, I I just felt like the right thing to do at the time. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. I don't know if it was the right thing, but I love that you did it. That's a that's a great story. Uh, Olin, this was awesome. Th- thanks so much for jumping on and, and answering all these questions, specifically, you know, getting into some of the X's and O's. Um, you, you do an outstanding job on the radio and with NBC Sports Chicago as well. So uh, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks so much, Olin. I appreciate it, guys, man. Have a good day. All right, there he is, Olin Karutz. Awesome conversation, and we will react to it. Uh, but first, we do need to take a quick break uh, to, to once again emphasize, Adam Johns, how important it is to smell good. Yes, yes, yes. So we want to talk more about our friends at Hawthorne. Um, last week, or earlier this week, I should say, we talked about the, the Michael Jordan cologne we all loved you know, growing up. What I like about Hawthorne, Adam, is that they let you almost like decide on your new scent and what works best for you by taking this this quiz, right? So you fill it out, you find out what works for you, you let your father, your brother, someone work it out for you. You know, it's a good Father's Day gift. It's very personalized, very personalized products, deodorant, shampoo, body wash, cologne, it's all there. And this is, you know, always a good time to, to drop the hints about good Father's Day gifts uh, to the wife, uh, but also, you know, it'd be a perfect gift for your dad as well. And y- you take that quiz, it's totally risk-free uh, with free shipping and free returns. So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, hawthorne.co. And use our promo code BEARS to get 10% off your first, first purchase. That's hawthorne.co. Use the promo code BEARS to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. All right, John Z. Awesome interview. Lot in there to react uh, to. Love the story at the end uh, about Robbie Gold, and 
not surprising to hear shenanigans like that with uh, with with those players. I love just the the, the personality, you know, that that comes yeah. with that. And that that was such a great team uh, with a lot of personality, a lot of different personalities. And Kruitz, he fits right in there as one of their team leaders, one of the ringleaders of some of the the team building shenanigans they are full of. Um, I. I find it very interesting to kind of spin this to to the current team, you know, and and I find myself doing this too. Going back to last season, I, I you immediately heard Kruitz's mind wander to the success they had running the football when they were running more eye formation, running more power, and they just didn't stick to it. And then it leads to that question of, all right, like they're big acquisition this offseason other than the quarterback um, in terms of what could potentially open up the running game more was adding Jermaine Effetti. You know, so it wasn't... It's, it, they seem to be relying on the new coaching staff, putting a lot on Juan Castillo here to figure out how to get this thing going. And it's... I, I don't know about you, but I heard some hesitation in Cruz's voice that it can it will work if they don't start adapting these things more to what the players do well instead of keep trying to fit these players into the scheme does that make sense yeah what's what's the saying you know square pegs or you know round don't pegs force square a square, holes. square yeah. peg into a round hole whatever it is you know it's like putting fish bait in this podcast something like that it's it's <laughs> yeah got wow. got to get a little dig in there um yeah, I, I, I thought a lot about that because, in a way, Harry Heastan has been scapegoated. Let, let's call it what it is. Him and, him and Mark Helfrich have, were, were scapegoated for the deficiencies on offense, specifically with the run game. But you, you heard Kruitz again mention, like, by the end of the year, you had all these reserves out there, guys who, who weren't on the team, like in training camp, guys that aren't on the, on the team right now. Like, there was a lot of names that were used during their conversation with, with Olin that, Brian Witzman, he's not even on the team anymore. You know, that's just uh, just shows you of, of what the investment has has been on the offensive line. And it's look, there has been investment. Look, you get two second round picks starting. You paid Bobby Massey. You paid Charles Leno. It's not high end money, but but you did pay him. But compared to other teams, yeah, there's some shortcomings there. And I don't know if it's going to work. To me, like my biggest takeaway from the the Owen Cruz conversation there is like what effective quarterback play can do for that offensive line, right? Like those defensive linemen that they have to block. Some of these guys are elite. Aaron Donald's on the on the schedule this year, you know. Like there's a Bosa on the schedule this year, is there not? Like it's you're not going to win all these battles. You need the quarterback to be the most important, best player on your offense, and. God, gosh, Adam, it's a conversation I, th- I feel like we've been having about the Bears forever. Forget this year, forever. It also struck me where at the end of, of the interview, he's talking, like, this is a guy who probably should be in the Hall of Fame, Olin Krutz. That's how good of a player he was, okay? He goes to New Orleans, and his takeaway that he just told us was how much easier all of a sudden it was to block. Because of the quarterback because of the passing attack that they had. It it just made everything so much easier. And this is a guy who already was playing at an extremely high level that knew what he was doing. So 
you know, football is just, it's, I guess all sports are like this, but football especially, once you get some success, defense against you becomes so much harder and it just, other things start to click and it all just starts to open up. And like you hear Owen talk about, they couldn't move the ball. Then all of a sudden they had 40 points on the board. Like that was New Orleans. And that's what I think the Bears were thinking they could potentially get when they hired Matt Nagy. But you got to have the pieces. You got to have the guy to do it. You got to have um, the players that can pull it off too. So it's, uh, I guess, of all the things, and I, I still am relatively optimistic about this upcoming season, but no doubt about it, the biggest question I have right now is the same thing we kind of left last season with, which is just how do you unlock this running game? Because they're not going to have a superstar at quarterback this year. Like, we know that. They could have better quarterback play, but they're not going to have a superstar at quarterback. And they need to take the pressure off whoever that guy is. You know, you know we, we got a question, a few questions in uh, an athletic Q&A yesterday. Kevin Fishbane and I did a Q&A in the athletic for, for readers, subscribers, fans. And a lot of questions about the offensive line. And I've come to this conclusion and just in terms of how to evaluate you know like the deficiencies of the offense like a lot of it still goes back to the quarterback and, and maybe this is unfair you know but what I know from what people that I've talked to what I've seen on film is that there are plays where things are run correctly the routes run correctly where the blocking is fine where the quarterback actually goes through the progressions of the play correctly then Trubisky fails to make that throw, airmail throw. I, I feel like you can even go back to 2018 to find certain things like that. It's to me those are the plays that are that are killers. When when things go well for your offensive line, your maligned offensive line. When things go well for your receivers and things are in order, and your quarterback doesn't make that throw, like that. I feel like that should carry more weight than certain criticisms of, of other personnel. Does that make sense? Like things are going well everywhere else, but the quarterback fails to make that throw. And what that throw would do for momentum, what that throw would do for the scoreboard, what it would do for like everybody involved on offense is so meaningful. And the plays just aren't made. To me, that's like my final takeaway after going through like a full evaluation of the 2019 season. No, I, th- I think that's fair. I, I think I think it's a little bit of everything because I think it's also sometimes just not seeing the field correctly and not making the right decision either. So um, the offense is still a huge question mark. So I, that that is where I I I don't I don't understand three and thirteen predictions, but I do understand um, the skepticism that uh, this is going to be a playoff team. But do you should remember there are, there are seven playoff teams now in each conference, so that does open the door uh, at, at least a little bit. Did you see um, Nick Wright his season prediction? Oh, Nick, he was like fourteen and two or something. Like it's, in that, I, I could be way off, but I, I thought playoffs, not way right? off. It was it was twelve and four. Twelve and four. But okay, it, yes. but it was the the Bears getting the number one seed in the NFC, and his was uh, he goes through the he does this every year. He goes through the entire schedule, the whole NFL s- schedule, 
and comes out with the you know the final records after he makes the predictions on every single game across the league. So that's what he came out with, twelve and four, um, and including a six and zero start as well. So I, I just found that uh, interesting. Well, it goes back to our conversation with Matt Schneiderman uh, earlier this week. I'm losing mm-hmm. track of my days here. By the way, he had the Packers at 12-4, and too, but the Bears winning the Week 17 game at Soldier Field to clinch the division and the number one seed. Okay, so Schneidman's a little bit more pessimistic on what the start could be for the Packers because their road... Like, the Bears have a favorable start just in terms of, of, of matchups, right? The, the Packers do not. So you could see them, you know, pulling away at least early. And we've seen it before, like a fast start really in all sports, can, can save you come to the end when you have injuries, when you have issues pop up and other teams have film on you. But, yeah, I'm not as down on, on the Bears as many are. I, I do think, especially with this defense, the it's a playoff-worthy team, especially, again, good point by you, with the playoff field expanding um, by two teams. Well, uh, I just wanted to point out a actual positive prediction for the Bears, <laughs> since they all seem to be so negative. Not uh, many Nick, out there. I know Nick a little bit. Nick does. There's a lot of talking heads on your TV these days, but Nick actually puts in the work, and he's one of the best. If you hear him on the radio, he's one of the best guys at arguing points because he always brings facts. He's not just throwing crap out there to get a reaction. His stuff does get reactions, but he does his homework. And if you, um, there's a video floating out there of him talking about his NFC North breakdown with his predictions. And, you know, you could tell he understood, like, Keem Hicks is coming back. He he had, he understood why they fell back to 8-8, eight and eight, which is another thing that I point at. Everything that went wrong last year, they still went 8-8 eight and eight when it was all said and done. Uh, it could have been a lot worse, and they, they held it together. So um, that's why I just have to imagine there's at least some improvement. But those questions that we have brought up, certainly in this podcast about the offensive line, uh, they they still remain until we see otherwise. And the fact that they're not out there on the football field right now does not help things either. All right. Any other uh, final takeaways? No. Just appreciate all. I, I think he... He is outstanding on television and, and on Twitter, so I want to thank him again. Everyone should be sure uh, to give him a follow if they're not already. Yeah, I mentioned the um, the Twitter account off top, but I didn't actually give it. It's just Olin underscore Kruitz, O-O-L-I-N underscore Kruitz, K-R-E-U-T-Z. He is entertaining on Twitter, especially during games, and uh, does a great job on the football after show for NBC Sports Chicago, as well as uh, the, the work he does on the score as well. So uh, thanks, Olin Kruitz. Great insight. A lot of people don't understand offensive line play. I always admit that it's probably my biggest weakness when, you know, evaluating certain positions on the football field so i learned something today i hope you did as well and uh in the meantime follow olin on twitter follow us on twitter at adam hogue h-o-g-e at adam johns j-a-h-n-s you can read him on the athletic you should be subscribed theathletic.com slash hogan johns please please go get rack those subscriptions up there's no reason not to right now and the content is still pumping it's still really good and you can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com as well i do a follow-up or conversation with kevin white the other day i do have a follow-up column on that there that you can find as well all right 
Great episode. Enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next week. Just play, Mitch.